Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we got a waiver wire edition of the pod. This is the first one of its kind. Last year, we'd usually do a Monday Night Football Podcast afterwards, and I go through a little bit of waiver stuff. But you know what? Everyone watches Monday Night Football. I thought, why not have a special guest in here? have time to plan things out a little bit better and ultimately give you guys more actionable fantasy information. Cause at the end of the day, we're trying to make sure you guys win your fantasy championship, telling you all, you know, staying up until midnight to tell you all about a game that 90% of you watched anyway. I'm not so sure fits into that. So without further ado, I am happy to be joined by, you know, a guy that's on here three, four times a week. If not more, I can't even keep track at this point. Dwayne McFarlane, you guys all know and love him already. Dwayne, we have conquered week one. Now we're on the week two. How you feeling? Man, I feel good. Um, I mean, you know, there's always things we get right and there's things we get wrong. I probably should start the show with a couple of apologies because I think I said David Montgomery and Mike Williams suck um, on Sunday on our start set. My eye was all messed up last night, but I was well enough to see that David Montgomery looked good. Um, and I was thinking, man, like, okay. I'm apparently going to miss on him. So um, didn't get as many routes and everything as I wanted, but whenever I saw like he was basically could add like 70% of the rushing attempts had he not left the game for a little bit. So sorry, David Montgomery. And then also Mike Williams. Sorry. Cause Ian, you gave me a double take when I said he sucked. So yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, people, we did not nail 100% of the start-sit questions lobbed our way on Sunday. But I think in general, we did see a lot of, you know, the volume, the storylines that we were hoping to play out come to fruition. So if you guys didn't catch the Monday edition of this podcast, uh, you can catch myself basically going through all the Sunday afternoon games with key snap notes, uh, you know, takeaways beyond the box score and things of that nature. So check that out if you missed it. But today, we got Dwayne in the house. So I want to quickly go through some of his top takeaways. You can always find his his utilization report on pff.com on Tuesdays, correct, Wayne? That's right. On Tuesdays, one of the trying to get them to where they're coming out Monday afternoon, evening ish. Um, I'm still working on today's. You know how week one is. Like, there's so much. Like, I'm just trying to make sure that I cover it all. But yeah, it'll it'll be hitting anytime, uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning. So if you people like what you're about to hear, make sure you check that out because there's a hell of a lot more of that where it's coming from. So without further ado, let's get after it. Dwayne, we're going to talk about some Detroit Lions, man. <laughs> Detroit Lions, Houston Texans, uh, you know, just a wild week one. But first of all, TJ Hawkinson, I guess the one member of this offense, you know, in addition to DeAndre Swift, who we might just be talking about too, that we felt good about. And that did come to fruition. Career high, eight catches, 97 yards in his debut at Jared Goff. That 97-yard mark only trails his career debut uh, set back in 2018 or 2019, excuse me, and also an 85% snap rate, which Dwayne, I think will get more into because right now it sure looks like Hawkinson is the Lions number one pass game option yeah man I mean so it tied in what you really want to see is you want to see a player that gets up over 80 percent of of the routes that means they're not having to stay in the block I mean 70 percent is is still good but like when you get up over 80 percent and you start getting close to 90 percent that's where it really becomes interesting because once you get over 80 and 90 percent even if you're only being targeted like say 20% of your routes, which is really good for, for a young tight end, which is where Hawkinson is. You really start to get into that recipe where you could be in for, you know, top four, top five season. Um, we'll talk about Pitts here in a minute, but I, I think Hawkinson and Pitts have a chance to really push for us to expand the conversation. I don't think it means they hurdle Waller or Kittle or any of these guys, but I think 
you know, their numbers look good enough that we could be looking at it at the end of the year and go, wow, there was actually five really good tight ends, right? Maybe Kelsey's still the top, top, but then instead of it just being Waller, right, and an injured Kittle, I think it very easily could be uh, Waller, Kittle, Hawkinson, you know, and then we'll talk about Pitts in a minute. But if you look at Hawkinson, was in a route over 81% of the passing plays. Um, that's up from 73% last year. Um, he was targeted 22% of his routes. He was 19% his first year in the league, 20% his second year in the league. He also improved in his receiving passing grades. Each of his first, I shouldn't say each of his first two years, because his first year he was a rookie, but last year he improved. And so we're just continuing to see that growth. Ian. And I mean, it, it's what you just said. When you look at the Lions, it's really Swift, Hawkinson, and Jamal Williams. Like that's that's their best players. Um, contest. Quintez Cephas actually looked good at the end of that game. So I'm interested to see if he gets some more work, but I think it's where the, the volume is all squarely going to sit, you know, with these three players. So over 80% of the routes, over 20% targets per route run. That's a top tight end. That's a top five tight end formula, pretty much over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if you're going to miss the top five, you're talking like top six, top seven. So if you, and that's where you had to draft Hawkinson, but it's going to be worth it. And I think he has upside, like I said, to push towards the other guys. As great as Kelsey Waller and Kittle are, I think if we had to rank like real life tight ends, a lot of people would still have those guys in your top three. So much of their fantasy success just comes from that very same volume. Like last year, Kelsey and Waller each had 145 targets. No other tight end had more than 110. When Kittle was, you know, healthy and balling out in 2018, he had 136 targets in 2019. He had 107 in 14 games. Like Hawkinson wasn't that far behind last year. He had 101 targets. That's why he was still a top five top six tight end i think he finished uh, tight end five last year so if he can just take that same target total keep similar efficiency but see an extra 30 40 targets that could be the difference between him joining that tier love the way you spelled that one out Dwayne. we are not done with the detroit lines though and that is because we got deandre swift uh coming in pretty shitty pregame report whoever uh, came out and had to say that you know swift was going to be taking you know a true backseat to jamal williams or whatever the exact verbiage was but was not the case not to suggest jamal williams wasn't also involved but i guess the important thing Dwayne, which we say on this podcast a lot the detroit lions have a two back backfield and nothing more and we can live with that in today's nfl we don't want three or four back committees lions got two of them Maybe not. I don't think they're going to be scoring 30 plus every week, but can we live with both DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams as long as this sort of usage persists? Yeah, I think we can. And so when I look at this situation, I go back and even think back when we talked about them in the summer, we, we specifically called out, okay, you got Dan Campbell, knee biter coming over from the saints where he had seen Mark Ingram, Latavius Murray, both work in tandem with Kamara. He may have came there the year after Ingram left, but he for sure saw the Murray Kamara thing work. Right. And then if you look at, um, you know, Anthony Lynn, who comes over from the chargers, well, we just recently saw him make, you know, the Eckler slash Melvin Gordon thing work. And so when I heard those comments, you know, before the game, the number one thing that popped in my head is, well, it's right back to the a back stuff, right? Who typically gets the first carry of the game? It's the a back. So they technically they're the starter, but what I loved about DeAndre Swift yesterday um, and, and Jamal Williams looked really good. And I think he's going to, to your point, he's going to be involved. We're not saying he's not going to be involved. My bigger point is don't let Jamal Williams and Jamal Williams outscored DeAndre Swift yesterday in fantasy points. If I'm remembering right, Ian, I don't have it right up in front of me, but I think he like finished like his RB six or something. Uh, it's actually RB ones. They both had a hell of a game. Yeah, they were both RB ones. Hang on. I'm just pulling it up real quick. Cause man, I've been writing about so much. You guys are probably like, God, how do you not just know that off the top of your head? I'm asking myself that right now, but yeah, 
uh, well, through yesterday's games, RB2 and RB4, right? So, yeah, we're not saying that's going to continue. But the thing that gets me the most excited, you know, about DeAndre Swift is the fact that how he's being used. And when I think about the Lions, I think, man, they're going to trail a lot. Like that immediately comes to mind. And so Swift is the per- is, is the back that's insulated from that. So he was in a route on 63% of the Lions passing plays um, yesterday. Actually, it was over 65%. Um, that's, that's Alvin Kamara-like. Um, he handled over 50% of the rushing attempts. So that's actually a little better than what we've seen from Alvin Kamara. Again, not saying he is Alvin Kamara. So you guys don't confuse this, but I think if you were, if you went back and you watched the game, Ian, I know you probably went back and watched some of it, if you didn't have it on live, um, you know, he had a couple of really good plays, you know, where he, he made a juke in the open field. He had juice. He um, not, it's now. not like he looked really, he looked good in my opinion. Do I think he is the best NFL running back ever and we can't find things wrong with him on film? Yeah, sure we can, but this is fantasy football and he's out there on the field in the situations that matter. So just let me give you a little quick run through. If you go back to 2011 and you look at backs that have been over 60, over 60%, right. Of the routes between 60 and 70%. Because there's some freaks like CMC that get up in the 80% range. So but between 60 and 70% of the routes for your team and at least 40% of the rushing attempts. Now, remember, yesterday, um, Swift actually did better than that. Here are your finishes for those backs since 2011. 16, 3, 4, 5, 9, 1, 3, 5, 1, 2, 3, 9, 3, 1. He's going to have a huge year. Is he going to score what he did yesterday every time? No, because they're not going to run a thousand plays every week. Um, But they were up tempo to be fair early and often their very first drive. They were up tempo. Um, It wasn't just after they got behind. So I think we're going to see an increase in plays. I think he's going to be a key part of the, of the passing attack. I think he's going to continue to be over 60% of the routes, you know, run. I think he's going to continue to hover around 50% of the attempts. So all that leaves room for Jamal Williams to still be involved. I just think Jamal Williams was the out more of the outlier performance because getting the performance he got on his underlyings, that doesn't repeat itself as often. So for me, DeAndre Swift, you know, looks great. Jamal Williams, I still like, but if I could sell him high right now, Ian, I would. It's not, it's not a bad deal. I don't think we're getting any more top five performances out of Jamal for uh, the next few weeks at least as long as DeAndre is doing his same thing but yeah after last season the only quote-unquote problems with Swift were he didn't have these great rushing efficiency stats and he obviously had the late season concussion that was concerning for moving forward from that but just in terms of what he brought to the table as a receiver man I mean he did look different from day one in terms of what he was able to do we had that hilarious carry on Johnson quote where he was literally saying like (laughs) DeAndre Swift can move his body in ways that I just can't even replicate and it's like damn carry on look out for your own job a little bit more bud but anyway i think you're right in that you know swiftness offense they're gonna be playing from behind man which is just gonna be perfect for him in the lions last seven games they have allowed 41 points 37 47 46 31 30 and 41 points atrocious defense maybe Campbell will get some playing hard more in the future but come on guys it's really going to be hard Dwayne, to keep swift out of the top you know 10 in ppr yeah, I, I don't see how he's going to – I don't think he'll be outside of the top 10. I, I think he's going to finish inside the top 10 for the season, assuming he's healthy. Remember, people, target and full PPR scoring is basically worth 2.7 carries. So, yeah, Swift, we don't need 200 carries on the year. He can still get there. We just want those targets, and he has plenty of those coming his way. Now, 
for a disappointing one. Dwayne, I, I described this Brandon Ayuk situation on the podcast as the following, because, you know, a lesser man would have victory lapped at heart because I was on record with Debo Samo over Brandon Ayuk uh, this week. I was not on Debo over Ayuk because I thought that Ayuk would work behind Trent Frickin' Sherfield. I just thought that Debo, with the manner of which he gets his targets, I thought it was more sustainable from QB to QB. With that said, what in the actual hell is going on with Brandon Ayuk? Dwayne, I just want to read one quote from Kyle Shanahan before I throw it over to you, where uh, courtesy of Matt Barrows from The Athletic, this is what Shani said. Dave, talking about Ayuk and Sherfield, been rotating a lot throughout the preseason, but Ayuk's only been back a week after he tweaked his hamstring, which we want to be smart with that. Also, Trent Sherfield earned the right to be out there more. So we need to consider, is this more of a hamstring issue or more of a playing time issue? And I will say this, Dwayne, I'd be a lot more willing to buy into the hamstring injury thing if they weren't throwing Ayuk out there on punt return. Like, come on, man. Like, that's one of the most dangerous parts of the game. And also, if you look at his usage last season, same freaking coaching staff, at least Kyle Shanahan at the top, he was hurt for parts of that year, too. When he played, he played over 70% of the snaps in every single game. We have not seen them, like, actively limit Ayuk snaps because of injury before. So, with all that said, what are you making of this? Because I know a lot of people who drafted this guy as a top 24 receiver are awfully disappointed with what happened in week one. Yeah, for now, he's not going to be in my starting lineup for sure <laughs> um, yeah. until we know more. I think, you you know, you bring up the right stuff. Um, Matt Waldman had actually responded you know, to a tweet I had put out yesterday, I guess he had just watched, you know, uh, Shanahan's presser and what he had said. And so it does sound like the hamstring issue uh, was part of it. So that that's, that's the positive way to look at it. If you want to say, Hey, glass half full kind of thing. And I just spent, you know, a top, you know, around five pick on Brandon Ayuk, which I did plenty of. Um, I loved everything about the guy. I mean, did great in the reception perception from Matt Harmon. Um, you know, did well in all the metrics we look at for breakout receivers, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Ayuk was was up there. Um, now, Shanahan, I just don't know how to trust him. And I mean, look, Dante Pettis had a really good, you know, finish to his rookie season as well, if you remember back. And next year, Shanahan just iced him, man, completely just iced him. Um, of course, maybe part of that is Pettis just isn't good. He hasn't been able to catch on anywhere else either. Um, but there's just, you know, we've seen this stuff with Shanahan. I mean, we'll get to the next one in a minute, but I mean, Sermon just inactive, you know, after, you know, sharing the backfield on the early drives, you know, in the preseason. So for those of you that say preseason doesn't matter, um, there's definitely merit to that with certain teams. There's just less that you can take away. I kind of try to keep track of those, but Shanahan's always all over the place. Usually you know, so it's just, usually we, I don't know, teams employ these certain people, uh, you know, they kind of cover the team. They try to write articles, maybe guessing, using their inside information from being at practice to maybe help lead us in directions where we could, you know, maybe find out that the RB2 isn't going to play at all. Or maybe that the wide receiver one is actually going to be the wide receiver four. I don't know, Dwayne, it'd be a little helpful if, uh, you know, some of these local uh, journalists that are around these teams could help us out a little bit that in addition to the preseason stuff, but sorry, continue. You can tell them. No, no, it's funny because, situation. It, but you're right. We do lean in, you know, to those folks. And it just shows to me what it probably says is none of them knew either. And this is just the crap Shanahan does. Cause if they did, they would want to write about it. It would be a big story to say, Hey, Brandon Ayuk's not even going to start. Hey, Trey Sermon's fourth stream. Like that would be a piece that would get a lot of eyeballs on it. And their, you know, their leadership team would be really happy. Um, so with me for Ayuk, you know, looking at it, I mean, only 54% of the routes, the thing is, Ian, like if he's not healthy, I mean, why would they play him at all? 
That's what I'm saying, especially on special teams. Like, come on. Yeah, I just I don't get it. So I don't know that I buy the hamstring thing. Um, it, you know, Shanahan's constantly throwing these curveballs. But I mean, if you look, um, you know, so only 54% of the routes, 50, 47% of the snaps. And what a really telling thing, right, is who's out there when you really need it. So, like, say you had a player that you just wanted to protect, but you knew when crunch time came, we're going to have them active so we can have them out there when. Oh, on third down to give our quarterback another good target. No, only 50% of the third downs did he even get out there. So he really wasn't, he wasn't on the field in any of the situations you would, you would hope to see based on a player that we think um, is good. And I'm, I'm completely worried about this one. I, you know, if we get another week of this, you know, by three weeks into this, I'm cutting. Oh my God. You said, yeah, three weeks in, I mean, I'm done. Like I'm, I'll be moving. Now there has to be somebody else worth picking up and it depends on your roster size. It depends on format. But I've just seen this, you know, with Shanahan before. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look at his glass half full. But at, for now, you have to have him out of your starting lineups. Dwayne just used the c word on Brandon Ayuk. People, this is how bad the situation. Hopefully, is. no one comes in right there at that spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 100 with you in that we cannot start this guy for the foreseeable future. And if we do get more weeks of this, and there's just no sign of things changing, yeah, maybe we can revisit, you know, the c word uh, over here. With that said, though, Dwayne, does this make Debo Samuel a weekly top 15, top 20 at a minimal option? Right, because he was already like an upside wide receiver three with his own workload. And now if they're going to give him the air yards and all this shit that we thought was going Ayuk's away, I mean, Debo, it's not like he was someone that couldn't get be used downfield and couldn't catch the ball downfield. They were just pretty, you know, rigid with the roles that their wide receivers had last year. So if Shanahan wants to make Debo yeah. his alpha one, we better treat him the same. As, in 52% of targets, 58% targets per route oh, run, oh, 60% of the team air yards. Yeah. I mean, 50% of his targets came on freaking play action passes. Like it's – you can't ask for a better stat line than what Debo put up and what he, he finished as wide receiver two, three for the week. Maybe I mean, one, he was way man. up. Yeah. Was it one? Yeah. Again, let me just, fumble, but yeah, let me look at this. Uh, People, we've had uh, about six months to memorize a lot of the same stats. We go back and forth. And now they've all and changed. Now they have all changed. So please forgive us for a little bit. Of wide receiver three, 33.9 points in a PPR. Um, so that's PPR. Um, but yeah, I mean, way up there. I mean, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big score. If you, you, you get a couple of scores like that on your roster, I mean, you're winning for the week, you know, even if the rest of your team sucked. So it's yeah. It's not that crazy to think about when you look at our, like if you look at our week one rankings, both Ayuk and Debo probably should have been everyone's top 36. If we're putting Ayuk now outside the top 50, like he's probably going to be for week two, that would, you know, those yards and those targets need to go. Debo's got to be top 24 every week now. Like last week I, think I had him higher than most I felt good about it just I love the matchup and everything for him last week and to your point I just didn't buy into the whole thing that oh he's just going to catch passes at the line of scrimmage and I, I knew that he would get used in that way but to me that was just a bonus he's going to get those looks plus other kinds of looks yeah I mean it was I was never down on Ayuk. it was just more I thought it was going to be more close than everyone else did same thing with Robbie Anderson DJ Moore you know Jamar Chase and uh um, T Higgins as that kind of came out a lot of situations like that where sometimes you can leverage it get the cheaper option and hopefully profit now Dwayne let's talk about 
the backfield that's on everyone's mind. You said before, Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch. Apparently just lost a job. Again, would have been a nice thing to maybe know at some point throughout the offseason, but we will leave it at that. As Shanahan said after the game, though, there is no firm hierarchy in the backfield. Uh, specifically, Jimmy Garoppolo said Elijah stepped up. He really did. Hasty did too. Those guys carried the load. Raheem was off to a hot start too. Yada, yada, yada. Basically, no one in San Francisco has given us any sort of uh, you know feel for how this backfield is going to be moving forward i guess my main question is because they had sermon out of the game i wonder what the plan was for raheem Mostert because elijah mitchell dominated this backfield over hasty now was Mostert was the plan for Mostert for him to dominate this backfield over both of them or were we going to see the 1a 1b with Mostert and mitchell that we were expecting to see from sermon and uh Mostert? because if it's the latter if it's going to be 1a 1b I think Sermon will probably step in and have a good amount of value from day one. I hope so. Or it'll be hasty. We don't freaking know, Dwayne. But I guess my my question is, do you anticipate this being Mitchell or whoever's backfield? Or are we going to see some sort of a committee set in? Yeah, I think we're going to see a committee. But we're not good at predicting Kyle Shanahan, clearly. (laughs) No one else does either. But I mean, if you look at it, after Moser left the game, Mitchell handled 68% of the snaps, 78% of the rushing attempts. Jamichael Hasty played all of the long down and distance and all the two-minute offense. So I think that's what we know. Hasty is the receiving back. And so if they then turn the early downs into a rotation between, uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon, it's probably a three- person backfield but the way i'm looking at it is you know you have to add elijah mitchell like if you're playing in a 12 team league or 10 team leagues and 18 leagues you can you can probably ignore it if you feel like you're really stacked at running back unless you're trying to block you know an opponent but the bottom line is and this is what makes it so maddening ian is we don't know for sure what's going to happen but what we do know is if you happen to own the kyle shanahan running back that all of a sudden does get all the work like he's got to be on your team And so it puts you in a real conundrum from a standpoint of, well, how much do I look at, you know, as far as, you know, my available salary for fab dollars, how much of it do I put, you know, on a player like Mitchell, because he he needs to be rostered in most formats. So the way I'm looking at him, you know, today we heard um, most it's out at least eight weeks. So we know you've got at least eight weeks of whatever's about to happen. And it could be an unpredictable thing that happens every week, but on the chance that Elijah Mitchell, is actually the back to own in this backfield for the next eight weeks. Um, you know, in my opinion, if you're hurting it running back, you know, you got to look at spending 15 to 25% of your fab dollars to get in now and fully knowing that you could vomit next week. But the upside is everything's in a risk reward scenario, right? So the upside of if Mitchell hits is huge. That's why you have to be willing to spend that money. The downside is He's not even the starter next week. It could happen like we've seen it. Or, you know, we could just see hot hand every week. That could totally happen too. But the upside is big enough that if he takes over that job and looks great and just holds it through the season, like, man, you, I don't know what your thought is, but I think it's a, I think it's a, it'll take you a minimum 15% of your fab to probably, you know, even be in contention. 25% is probably about where you're going to have to be to have a shot at him. Like if you did it 10 times and wanted to get him half the time probably 20 to 25% of your fat. One of my bolts I had written down, because I try to take notes, you know, preparation, uh, failure failure to prepare is preparing to failure, fail. 
damn it, I'll get that. It's preparing to failure, yes. You could imagine how that quote goes. Either way, one of the things I had written down, upside warrants going after these guys, don't blow the bank, 30% question mark. So yeah, I would say 15 to 30%, know your roster, know your league, and go from there. Don't get too crazy. There's always that one league mate in your league, you know, that goes ahead and will blow 70% on, you know, the week one, uh, week two waiver wire targets, excuse me. So don't be that guy, but I do think 15 to 25% more than fair because again Dwayne we have seen that upside and we've seen it recently like just go back to the end of last season Jeff Wilson combined carries and targets the final three weeks 20 24 and 27 he ripped off RB 27 RB 5 and RB 7 finishes again I lean with you I do think this was going to be more of like what we saw in the middle of last year whereas Moster and Wilson kind of splitting 12 to 15 carries and targets combined each I think we see that with Mitchell, with Sermon, hopefully. You know my favorite we'll play? Hasty. What's up? My favorite play on this situation, my favorite way to play this situation is someone goes out and does what you just said. They spend whatever, 40 50% of their fab to make sure they get Mitchell. And you'll see this, and they drop Sermon to do it. Then you swoop right in. Yep. <laughs> and you pick up Sermon. Wherever Sermon has dropped people, pick him up pick him up. I don't care what the quote said. I don't care that we're told he was beat out. We really have no clue. For all we know, it's something disciplined with week one that Sermon didn't play. That seems honestly kind of likely to me, given to your point. No one knew this. No one. No one knew. As much as preseason doesn't matter, like what utility does Shanahan get from playing Sermon ahead of Mitchell and Hasty with the first team offense? Nothing. Nothing. Nobody cares who the running back is in, in San Francisco from a defensive perspective. They know they have to defend the run no matter what. It doesn't matter who's back there, you know. So, yeah, there's, there's not any utility in my mind. Madness, Dwayne. Madness in San Francisco. It's pissing off. Hey, guys, think. The, the plan could have been Mostert is going to handle the early down work. Yeah. Mitchell's going to be the receiving back. That could have been the plan. And you could easily next week come out there and be like, holy crap. Sermon got 65% of the carries and now Mitchell is taking the role that Jamichael Hasty was in. Like we, that's in all these ranges of outcomes are there. And so to me, the, the cheapest chip that I can play, which is if Mostert gets dropped, just swooping in and grabbing. Him. I like that. Raheem Mostert. If you look at all running, <laughs> you just backs, gave a sigh. <laughs> if you look at all running backs in 2021, minimum two carries. Number one in yards per carry, Raheem. Minimum two carries. Yes. 10 yards per carry, Dwayne. I'm not crying. You're crying. Damn it. My freaking, like, one of my highest on running backs in best ball. Oh, well. We'll worry. And it was going to be there, man. Damn it was going to be there. Like, it was right away. Those first couple of drives, like, it was him. And then he just, you know. I thought I was the smartest man alive for about 60 minutes after Sermon got healthy scratch. And then just, you know, blew up 15 minutes in the week one. 15 minutes. Oh, dude, I was with you. I moved him to t- I moved him to running back eight in my rankings yeah. on the site that morning. You know, yeah. So pain. Pain is all I feel, but pain. we will push forward. Let's talk about Kyle Pitts, who did not live up to the insane DFS roster ship he had, or just kind of the overall hype going into this one. With that said, Dwayne, I think a little bit closer look at his usage will reveal we are in fact looking at the Falcons, not a tight end really, but a number two pass game option. Yeah, go get Kyle Pitts right now. Do whatever you need to do to sell your league Kyle Pitts owner on the fact that, yeah, just another another tight end that, you know, is going to bust in his rookie season. Like, that. that's 
that's what that's the memo you want to send out like to the league owner that owns them obviously you guys know how to handle your your league mates but i would do everything possible to get kyle pitts we already talked about hawkinson but if i were to re-rank tight ends today i would have kyle pitts number four so 80 percent of the routes we already talked about the 80 percent mark earlier so my question with Pitts was, is he going to be 60%? Is he going to be 70%? He's going to be 80%. And we talked about this on a past episode. I basically broke down what it takes to really get a good rate of return on having a chance at hitting top three tight end. Guess what? He's over that number. The next number, 28% targets per route run. That's freaking insane. That's higher than Travis Kelsey this week. I mean, that like, look, really good tight ends are in the 24 to 25% range. Now it's one week, but it's the one week that we have. And we all know that they spent a really high pick on the guy. So things are, it's not like this person's coming out of nowhere. And we're like, who's this guy with 28% of the targets, you know, per route run, you know, it's, that's not what's going on. We know they want to get him the ball. So if you go back and if you look at that, you know, and you, you know, want to say, all right, how many of the tight ends, you know, look like what, whenever that happens. Um, here are the finishes since 2011, where you hit 80% and at least 24% and the two numbers I gave you. So that 80% of the routes, 24% targets per route run. Here are the finishes, Ian. Are you ready? I'm ready to run. One, two, two, one, two, three. That's it. That shows you how hard it is. No, it's Kelsey, Waller, Waller, Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle. Wow, none of them. Well, screw me. Okay. Yeah, well, 2011, You and by then they had ramped Gronk down. Gronk was more of a 70%, uh, okay. 75% route. Lesson learned, um, lesson learned. Yeah, and, but it was injuries mostly. It wasn't a per game thing. It oh, was his fair, targets. It was more Gronk typically missed time every season. So, um, but Gronk is one of the guys that would do it with just 70%, you know, yeah. super elite stud still. But So the point being, look, guys, I'm not saying he's Kelsey Waller, but look, we didn't know Waller was Waller until just two years ago. We didn't know Kelsey was Kelsey until he broke out. You know, we didn't know Kittle was Kittle until he broke out. I'm telling you right now, like Pitts is about to do this. And if you can get him, you got to go get him. You got to do whatever it is you need to do. Don't seem desperate. You know, you can give them the, you know, hey, I'll call you. Let me, I'll let you know if I'm interested kind of thing. You know, whatever it is that you guys do, um, you can do it. And you ladies as well, because we know you guys do that to us for sure. Like you are way better at that game than me. But um, Pitts is a must is a must go get in if you can. Um, everything there looks great. I just love that they are using him as a legit receiver. I mean, eighty percent of his routes were from the slot or out wide last year. Mark Andrews seventy three percent, Travis Kelsey sixty nine percent, Hawkinson fifty eight percent, Waller fifty percent, Kittle forty four percent. Like Kyle Pitts is agent. For the 50th time, this podcast keeps telling you that maybe Kyle Pitts should just hire you and me, Dwayne, as his agent, because we will just, the only thing we will do is push for that positional change. And because for whatever reason, wide receivers are paid more than tight ends. You know what? You just gave, you just hatched a business plan. Like imagine like if agents were armed with like the utilization stuff, Ian. We just, yeah. come hey, on. All right. Hey, by the, hey, by the way, PFF, uh, we're going to keep doing the podcast. We're also going to start <laughs> in uh, agency business as we're uh, recording. Hope that's cool. All right. We got one more uh, big takeaway. Nice uh, one to end on because this was a guy you and you and myself were hyping up all off season, Joe Mixon. I was happy enough to catch this game in real time and he looked 
good, Dwayne. I mean, some of these fourth quarter runs in particular, refusing to go out of bounds, running hard, running through contact. Overall, he ended up with eight broken tackles uh, just on carries alone. That was the highest mark in week one. So I know he got a lot of grief last year, you know, just a volume guy. He only bought out against the Jaguars. I'm not saying the Vikings are the world's best defense either, but when I see him running through Harrison Smith to go gain an extra six yards and then finish the next would-be tackler, uh, you know, over top of him as well, I mean, it's looking good, man. So I know Samaj Piran was a little bit involved, but it looks like Joe Mixon, if he is, you know, not gassed, not too tired, he'll be out there first, second, and third down moving forward. And with that, we have a top six fantasy bet. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's Mixon time. 78% of the snaps. 81% of the rushing attempts, 55% of the routes. And it wasn't because he wasn't out there either. I'll get to that in a minute, but he was blocking. But 55% is still a good mark. When, remember, you get up towards 60 and 65, you're getting into the lead territory. This is just under that. But 15% of the targets, Ian, on a team that's got three really good receivers, um, 28% targets per route run. So what does that tell you? Typically what that tells you is it's not just swing passes that you're getting some design looks. And if you go look, um, at Mixon this week, he actually did have several uh, first read looks, which is not normal for running backs. Typically, a running back's first read looks will be like around uh, the 30%, 25% mark, and he was up over 50% this week. So it's not it's not just getting him um, you know, the ball and just a check down situation. They are actually designing some things for him as well. Um, P. Ryan, you know, I mean, he, they didn't want him out there in a route. He was hardly out there you know, for any carries either. Um, you know, Piran, yes, got a little bit of work, but it's, it's look, it's fine. Somebody's going to relieve everyone. This, this is as one, a, as a one, a situation as you can get, like it, it's a one, a, and then like, there's a two C behind him. And we didn't, and we wanted to see, did Chris Evans come out here and get involved in the passing game? Because that's where he's really good. We didn't see that in week yeah. one. So that's a positive. So a hundred percent of the work inside the five, a hundred percent of long down, in distant situations, 100% of the two minute offense, all owned by Joe Mixon. So if you drafted Joe Mixon in the second round, as recommended, like go pop some champagne, do something. We just need him to stay healthy. Um, this is going to be a really big season for Joe Mixon. The biggest concern was Chris Evans taking the pass down work. That didn't happen. Full steam ahead, people. All the Joe Mixon RB1 season. I love it. And also, Week one may be over, but the season's just getting started. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week two game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. The Sportsbook is not yet available in your state. DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet in any football game. With promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Dwayne, let's talk some waivers now. So I guess looking at this group as a whole, I would say 
you know, don't do anything drastic. I don't think there's necessarily like league winning guys. I remember being on this podcast with you last year in week three, we saw Justin Jefferson, T Higgins, like snaps starting to spike. And we were saying, Hey, now is the time to still get these studs. Huge starting roles are coming to fruition. I'm not saying there's not usable guys out here and Hey, maybe a couple injuries break the way and they do end up being your league winner. But I would just say in general, a lot of the guys we're going to talk about, I think you're going to hear us saying, you know, caution, Maybe a decent bench ad, not someone you should be. I don't think anyone here you should be blowing, you know, 40, 50% of your, of your fab on by any stretch of the imagination. So with that said, let's start at quarterback, Dwayne. Jameis Winston threw five touchdowns. In doing so, he became, he, he set the record for the lowest passing yardage in a game ever where he threw five touchdowns, which it's like not a negative. It's just weird, man. It's just a cool stat. Good for you, Jameis. Keep being weird. I'm happy he's out there again. He made numerous nice throws. The bomb to Deontay was great. The first touchdown to Juwan Johnson was also gorgeous. He's put it exactly where he could only get it. With that said, Dwayne, you know, QB3 performance on the week for right now. But as we talked about in this podcast, Jameis hasn't always been this super fantasy-friendly quarterback. Okay, he had the QB8 fantasy points per game in 2019. Before that, he never finished higher than QB15. But hey, that was three years ago. Jameis has had LASIK since then, and now he's got Sean Payton calling his plays. Are you buying Jameis as a QB that we should be trying to get and hoping for QB QB1 production more weeks than not moving forward? I don't think we're going to see it, but I do like him. You know, I think he's definitely, if you're hurting, you know, maybe you waited and you own Fitzpatrick, or maybe, you know, you drafted Trey Lance and you're not happy with the other quarterback, you know, that you paired him with. I think that puts Jameis, you know, into the conversation. Um, you know, they played 63% of their plays with the lead. So that's part of what goes into, you know, the low passing numbers. They just, they didn't really feel like they had to throw the ball. 37% of the uh, plays, they were actually close. Um, they never trailed the whole game. So, you know, there's going to be situations where you're going to get more yardage and you're going to lose efficiency. The efficiency, you know, can spike whenever the defense is fully expecting run, like all the time, um, which happens whenever you get up as much as they were. And it makes throwing touchdowns easier. Like it, the element of surprise, you know, Ian, you play football. The element of surprise, of surprise is the biggest thing. You know, that's why you hear folks constantly from an analytics perspective, pushing on teams to do things different, like on early downs and things like that, not just to get ahead of the sticks and because of the math, but also because the defenses are, that's when they can be surprised the most um, is in situations where they don't just know automatically that you're going to throw the ball. Once they know that it becomes much harder to throw the ball, um, which is why our things like play action and other things come in. So um, having said all that, you know, with Winston, I still think he's a QB too. But I do think that he's going to push in for QB1, you know, opportunities, you know, throughout the season. So, I mean, I would put him right there in the mix, you know, Ian now with like the Tannehills, um, you know, some of some of the players that are all right around that range. I would put Joe Burrow in that range as well. So I, I think, you know, you're going to see kind of a you'll see a churn with those guys. So it's not like somebody you have to roster, but I definitely feel better about him, you know, than like Teddy Bridgewater and, and guys like that. Definitely ahead of Teddy. I would just say, I don't think his upcoming schedule is like really worth investing too much in. The Panthers, they seem good. 
I think a lot of the pressure they got on Zach Wilson was more a result of Wilson and that Jets offensive line. I need to go back and re-watch that one still. So, you know, we'll see on that. But even if that's, you know, a good one after that, we get the Patriots, the Giants, who I think are a little bit better on Deed than they showed uh, yesterday, Washington, Seattle, who we'll see if they're bad or good, and then also Tampa Bay. So I just don't think we're getting, you know, one smash spot after another. It's why we, you know, rest our hat on Kirk Cousins as this guy, because he does have one good matchup after another. So Jameis, yeah, he's in that conversation. I'd say he's in the same tier as Cousins and Tannehill and some of these other guys. Ultimately, I would still be riding with Cousins as our streamer here for the next few weeks. Dwayne, I sent a tweet like two weeks ago just saying like, you know, don't I, I forget what the stupid phrase I had. It was like, don't, don't start a Texans running back. Even if there's a fire, it could have been, it. it was like, I think I even went as far as say like how much do you have to hate yourself to start a Houston Texans running back. And three of them go ahead and score touchdowns on me. Rex Burkett, I'm sure, you know, could have, if they felt like it in that one, are we seriously buying Mark Ingram having t- more than 20 carries ever again, maybe in his nope. entire career? <laughs> no. No, you don't want to own this situation. Um, I mean, this this is something you just let somebody else go waste their their fab on. Okay, let's all, let's all laugh mean, at me for being wrong on this, but move on. Yeah, but you, yeah, but what are the chances of the Texans ever lead this much in a game? They're just not going to. Um, they're they're not a good team. They're still not. So that hasn't magically changed. And so they're typically going to be trailing. And you're going to have four running backs you're trying to get the ball to. This script worked out perfectly for Ingram, um, you know. So and it led, you know, to a game where he actually got 68% of the rushing attempts, attempts with, which equaled 26. So um, and again, I have penalties included here, so it might be like slightly off, you know, from that. But um, the point being, at 60% or more in the future, like he'll be lucky to hit like 15. And and the other part is you had Philip Lindsay fumble down inside the five. And so that took his numbers down. So I really expect, you know, Ingram and Lindsay um, to really split the ball more, but to your point, they have four guys involved. You know, you had Ingram at 46% of the snaps, David Johnson, 28%, Philip Lindsay at 26%, Rex Burkhead at 13%. Guys, this is the Patriots all over again without any kind of good offense. So let, let your league mates go waste their money on Mark Ingram and you focus elsewhere. Awesome game, Tyrod. It was a lot of fun. I'm happy, you know, you got to have another chance to start after your freaking team doctor punctured your lung to make you lose that job. But yeah, this reminds, this is basically the 2021 version of the Jaguars beating the Colts in week one last year and then losing 15 straight games to end the year. I think that's what we're going to see with the Houston Texans. And keep an eye out on that Houston Texans medical doctor, man. Now that they know Tyrod can win a game or two, I would not be letting any needles anywhere near me if I was Tyrod Taylor. So, so, excuse me, Tony Jones, someone that I think was already a popular addition, you know, after we had the Latavius Murray release, but I just kind of wanted to go over what his stats were in this first game through three quarters. Cause again, this was a blowout. Kamara was at 41 snaps, Tojo at 13. Kamara had the carry lead 18 to seven. Kamara had the target lead four to one. We're not getting like standalone value. If you're starting Tojo as your flex, you better have, you know, multiple horrible reasons that led you to have to be able to do that. I think the handcuff, uh, you know, possibility remains though. With that said, Dwayne, I guess, do you still consider Tojo to be someone we need to kind of be trying to get at the end of rosters? Or did you see that standalone usage and just say, eh, maybe someone that if it comes to it, you can feel comfortable cutting? No, I still want to have him, but it's in deeper leagues. You know, if you're playing in, you know, a 10 team league and you've only got 
13 or 14 spots on your roster, it makes it tougher to own someone like Tojo. But if you're playing in a, in a 20 roster format, you know, 12 team league, Tojo should be rostered everywhere. He shouldn't be dropped. You know, I would say once you get to like 16, 17 uh, roster spots deep, Tojo should be on all of those rosters. I do think there's still a chance that he carves out some standalone value. Um, but I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, he's still a young player that was, you know, undrafted, you know, the year before. So it, the, it's great for Kamara, right? I mean, it is 73% of the snaps to Kamara, 35% to Tojo. And it's like you said, you know, it was later in the game when he got some of the work. But when I did see him out there, Ian, I mean, I'm curious on your thoughts. Like, I thought he looked pretty good. Like, he didn't act like the game was too big for him or anything he looked explosive so i put him in that same tier um with madison i put him in the same tier you know i think um we won't talk about him today but chuba hubbard didn't have any problems from royce freeman he looks like he's still the main cuff to cmc so i think he belongs right there in that tier and if you're sitting there and you've got one really good running back and you're just trying to make do at running back two and let's say you're piecing together like naheem hines and whatever you name two or three other players that you're just kind of rotating in and out and you want to have a player or two, like just sitting there that like, wow, if the starter goes down, I do think Tojo still belongs in that conversation. Yeah. And I think he's looked fine throughout the preseason. Like, honestly, now that we know Sean Payton thinks he looks fine. That's all that matters. Like I hear some people saying like, Oh, I, we saw him at Notre Dame. Like he's not this big of a deal. That was 20, what 2016 through 2019. Yeah, and like, Sean Payton had- doesn't care what those people think. So it doesn't matter anymore. John Payton does not give a single fuck what anyone thinks. Look at the amount of no-name people that he has brought through this team. Like, are you really going to draw your line at Tony Jones? Like, that's where you think it stops? I don't think so. But with that said, let's talk about another Saint real quick while we're on the team. Jawan Johnson. So this one was very interesting. I did not realize that he only played 12 snaps in that entire game. We had Garrett Griffin getting 17, mostly as a blocker. And Adam Troutman, all those dead best ball teams, uh, Dwayne, you know, not quite an Undertaker GIF moment. He didn't exactly have uh, a great game. I thought he could have scored a touchdown at one point, but it it was going to be tough. And he let the ball go right through his hands. So we'll never know if he could have broken the tackle uh, to get there. Either way, are you buying this Jawan Johnson? Because he looked good on the opportunities he got. But, man, like these are like Mo Alley-Cox numbers here. Like There's only so much you can do for a guy projected to play 10 freaking snaps a game potentially. Yeah, if you pick up Jawan Johnson, what your belief is is that he's going to grow his role based on what you saw in week uh, one. It could happen. It could happen. But he's not an inline tight end, so he's going to have trouble. That means he's going to be mostly in the slot. This team runs a lot of – a lot of 21 personnel as well, which means he's off the field anytime that happens. If they go full 11, if he's not the player in the slot, if they put a receiver in the slot, he's probably not on the field because he's not getting much of the inline work. So it's just going to be a tricky situation. You do need to believe that his role is going to improve. You do not want to be starting Juwan Johnson next week. Um, you know, in your fantasy lineups, you know, Ian, you, you basically already hit it, but only 19% of the snaps, 40% of the routes, 16% of the targets, 39% targets per route run, right? That's what you like. When you see it, you're like, wow, they're drawing up plays for him. He's getting open. The quarterback likes him. Um, but it's just one data point. So Troutman's really still the player to own 82% of the snaps, 72% of the routes, 26% of the targets, oh, that's 37% targets per route run. For Adam Troutman, that's only 2% below where we just talked about with Juwan Johnson, but he's getting all the snaps. What you're looking for is for someone to drop Troutman, 
thinking, oh, well, if he hadn't already been dropped, he was already dropped in a lot of leagues. People thought he was hurt. He is the smart pickup, and you can probably get him for very little. Juwan Johnson's really a fade for me, especially if he's going to go for very much. Now, if you play in a super deep league, tight end premium, that kind of thing, Juwan Johnson needs to be rostered. And so, again, deep leagues means 20 people um, you know, on every roster, 12-team leagues, that kind of thing. Then Juwan Johnson, especially if it's tight end premium, Juwan Johnson, sure, put him on the end of your bench, but still don't be starting him. Well said. Mr. McFarlane. Now let's talk about a situation that might have some more clarity by the time people listen to this on Tuesday morning. And I am talking about the Baltimore Ravens backup running back. So going into their matchup against the Raiders, you know, I'm knocking on wood. Please don't give us any more injuries between now and Tuesday. I've already had like three podcasts get burned by this damn backfield uh, and that sort of thing. Tyson Williams fully expected to be the number one running back, but Latavius seems to have the head start on being number two guy with Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman, not active, still on the practice squad. We also have Trenton Cannon there as number three. I guess, Dwayne, like I'm most interested to see, will Cannon actually have a small offensive role or is he going to be strictly special teams? I think it'll be the latter and we see Tyson kind of have like a maybe this week, especially like a 70-30 kind of commanding split over Latavius Murray. After that, though, it's kind of anyone's guess to how this could play out. Do you see Latavius eventually emerging as a running back to own in Baltimore, or is this another situation where probably go let the kind of irresponsible high bidder go get him? Yeah, I would let the irresponsible high bidder go get him. Um, Having said that, it does appear that he's next in line if something does happen to Tyson, you know, Williams. So, I mean, from that perspective, you know, he's a player that needs to be rostered. I just don't want to go crazy, you know, with Latavius Murray. So, I mean, I'm thinking like five to 7% type bid. If you need a back, I mean, if you want to push it to 10%, you can, but I'm not going any higher than that. I don't expect him to pass, you know, Tyson Williams. I mean, this is a player that's up there in age. Um, His explosiveness has dissipated over the last several years. So it's, you know, I, now don't get me wrong. It's a great scheme, you know, and it opens a lot of huge holes because when you hit, when the defense has to worry about Lamar Jackson, it, it makes rushing lane, it creates better rushing lanes, you know, for these running backs. And so he's going to be in that situation, but I think it's going to be, you know, 25% of the carries to Lamar Jackson, 35 to 40%, you know, to Tyson minimum. And then, you know, you got another 20 to 25% to your next back, which could be Latavius Murray. And then you've got another five to 10%, you know, to somebody like Cannon. And and so I think it's just going to be a situation where you're going to have a tough time starting Latavius Murray. You're more picking him up on the chance that the Ravens, you know, have another unfortunate injury, which would be crazy to lose three, um, you're sorry, four backs (laughs) to, to knee injuries or to any kind of injury. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's like, I'm, I'm going to have, I'm tempering my expectations. I'm definitely putting in a enforcement kind of bid on him. Yeah. So I don't just let some league mate have him for free. So if I've got somebody I can drop. And, and so when I say enforcement bid, like I'll throw like 3% out there just so nobody gets them for a dollar. No, I think that's fair. Though. Yeah. If you want to pick up Latavius and can do it for free, if you got him a week ago when this kind of went down and just snapped him up, that's fine. Again, just trying to tell you, don't blow that, uh, you know, 30% of your fab, even 10% of your fab, even 5% of your fab on this situation because it's just so unclear at the time being. We will have bigger and better guys to chase as the weeks go on. Kenneth Gamewell had a touchdown yesterday, short run. Also had another touchdown nullified when Lane Johnson crossed the line of scrimmage. It did. I'm not too mad at Lane, though, because then we got that nasty Jalen Hurst and Dallas Goddard touchdown, so that was fun to see. I guess my question, though, Dwayne, 
it's, isn't Kenneth Gamewell just Boston Scott now? And like, if we remove their names and we said, Hey, you know, here's Boston Scott playing 35% snaps behind Miles Sanders. He gets some carries, he gets some receptions. Like nobody would be interested in Boston Scott, but because it's kind of game well, and because he's a rookie and because he was like a deep sleeper for a lot of fantasy guys, I feel like he's almost getting marked up more than he should be. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree, but when you can get young legs, you want them. Like I would rather put money on Kenneth Gainwell than Latavius Murray. That's me. Because the way I look at it is if, if Miles Sanders went down, okay. Just like if Tyson went down, there's that's the door open for Gainwell. That's door number one. Door number two would be Sanders who hasn't necessarily been a great pro to this point. He's been okay. If Sanders were to struggle, they have a back they like that's a young back that could start to take over more of the work. You know, he could push it to be more of a true 50 50. Um, if Sanders really screws up and were to start fumbling or something weird, you know how these things go. Um, there's a better path in my chance, like for Gainwell to gain work, <laughs> Gainwell to gain work. You see what I didn't even mean to do, but I did <laughs> that from, from Miles Sanders versus Latavius Murray, you know, with the Ravens. And so I like the upside of Gainwell. I would definitely put more money on him from a waiver wire standpoint than what I would do with Murray. So, I mean, 35% of the snaps is not bad. 10% of the targets is solid. I mean, yet you're right. It is Boston Scott type numbers, but I think there's a reason that you should want to put more on Gainwell. And it is because he was the hyped up, not just because he's hyped, he's hyped for a certain reason. And I think those reasons are still legit. So if he's available, I definitely want him 32% targets per route run. Like that's really good. That means when he's out there, they're trying to get the ball to him. Um, so I like him handled half of the uh, long down and distance work, um, handled all of the two minute offense work, 100% handled all of it. So the other positive I like about a player like Gainwell, let's say something did happen to Miles Sanders. There's a chance Jalen, Jalen, um, Jalen, Boston Scott, Jalen Scott, an old Ravens receiver. Um, Boston Scott doesn't really get much of the work. And all of a sudden Gainwell is sitting up top with pretty much everything in an offense that looks better, has a better offensive line. So I do like Kenneth Gainwell. And Scott, to be fair, when Sanders has missed some time, was getting like a 70% snap rate. Like they were fine to promote their quote unquote scat back to lead back duties in the past. And yeah, credit to the Eagles. You mentioned some of those, uh, you know, just target numbers for game. Well, they made life so much easier for Hertz uh, in week one compared to last year. In 2020, 42.8% of Hertz's passing yards came on Yak. Yesterday, 63.6%. Only Jimmy G had more than Hurts. So we've seen the arm downfield, and he can run around with the best. Hurts look great, man. If you own Hurts, yeah. you should be so glad right now, which, I mean, we had him as part of the quarterback draft plan here. You know, it was him. That was Dak if he's sliding. And then it was you should get Russ, Russ Wilson if he's sliding. And then the next pick was you should take Tom Brady. And if you didn't get that, it was Jalen Hurts. If you have any of those quarterbacks, you're really happy after week one. Yeah, and just so you know, people like if someone uh, um, Twitter me, added me today, whatever the hell I'm saying, and they just made the point like, hey, Ian, I got Trey Lance, but instead of getting Cousins, I got Jalen Hurts. Like the Cousins thing was to take in like the last round of your draft because you would have to take Lance before him anyway, and you don't want to use you know, whatever, Ian. That guy's just way smarter than you. <laughs> My point is, though, <laughs> if you're in his situation and you have Jalen Hurts, you do not need a second quarterback on your roster. Cut that guy. If you're going through this and you are looking at, like, oh, should I cut this running back or wide receiver? If you have a sick quarterback or tight end, you don't need two of them. Worry about the bye week later. 
And yeah, get, get ready, folks. It's coming. The Trey Lance and Justin Field cuts are all just around the corner after everybody spent 10th, 11th, and 12th round picks. It's happening. And that goes without saying, people, when you see Fields and Lance out there, scoop them up with a sense of urgency. Moving on to some wide receivers, we got Sterling Shepard up next. He was someone that just continuously, you know, whenever I do these volume versus ADP studies, it was like he was just so much more volume than people were really giving credit for. Matt Harmon, uh, you know, has been a big fan of his reception perception over the years. And yeah, I mean, Shepard, man, he gets six targets every single game seemingly. I think he's only had like, it's a bonkers stat. Mike Clay uh, um, was the first one that I didn't bring it up. It's like, he has six targets in every game except one when you're not counting injuries since like halfway through 2018 or something absolutely ridiculous. So great game last week. And, you know, with the schedule coming up, Washington Thursday night isn't great. After that, though, Falcons, Saints, Cowboys, ruffling against the Rams, then gets the Panthers. So I guess we're still in Shepard. He's someone that uh, I think we could say like, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been a free agent to begin with. So question one is how confident, I guess, are you, how much would you want to spend to go get him? And question two, like, do we need to project Shepard as number one Giants receiver moving forward? Cause not that Kenny Galladay looked bad, but I just, it seemed like Shepard man was getting number one treatment almost. Daniel Jones loves him. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, so, I mean, when I look at, you know, Shepard, 95% of the snaps, uh, 93% of the routes, 25% of the targets, 27% targets per route run, average depth of target of 9.9. He had 29% of the air yards. Um, you know, I, I love him. And he's a guy that, to your point, he was going too late. Um, Shepard does battle injuries. And so you're, you're always at risk of having to deal with that. He seems like he misses two to four games every single season and they're kind of scattered and you're like, Oh, is he questionable all week? Is he going to play? So, I mean, you could have to deal with some of that, but if you're sitting there and you were really aggressive, like let's say you took, you know, two or three backs early and then you were aggressive in the middle rounds on some receivers. And let's say you took a Callaway who struggled in week one, which I think was more game script than anything. Um, let's say you took, you know, some of the younger guys like Elijah Moore or whoever, and you need someone like you're like, man, I got to have somebody I can put in my lineup for next week. Like Sterling Shepard's your answer. Cole Beasley's your other answer. Like he was falling way too far in drafts as well. They're really both similar, similar situations. Shepard, the younger player, um, obviously the player, probably if you had to say had some sort of upside left, I would say that's more with Shepard than it is with Beasley, but both are guys that you could go out and grab. And for, for a player like that, that I know I'm going to insert in my lineup immediately. And it could get, even if it's just going to give me three to four weeks to let somebody else on my team break out. I mean, I'll put 10 to 15%, you know, on a player like that. I'm, I'm not going to go spend 30%, you know, of my fab on Sterling Shepard, but I'll put 10 to 15%. If you really want to push it, you could go 20%. Um, Dan, like last year was really his breakout year as far as targets per route run. It was a little bit later in age, but in his second season or third season, you know, with Daniel Jones and he had some injury problems. So, I think there is some potential um, upside and could we see Sterling Shepard finish the season, you know, as a low end wide receiver too. I think that's in the range of outcomes, but I feel great about him as my wide receiver three wide receiver four, especially point. PPR folks, PPR standard, less so PPR is the key here. Half PPR, a little step down standard. I'm not near as interested in Sterling Shepard. It's a great point on Cole Beasley as well. 13 freaking targets in week one people i understand maybe you're not the biggest fan of the guy guess who is josh allen and he's the guy that's trying to get his fancy points with it so cole beasley sterling shepherd you can throw them right in the starting lineup and you can throw them in over i think the next trio of guys we want to talk about uh Dwayne, well let's start with christian kirk in this arizona cardinals offense because damn it cliff he's doing it again Dwayne. 
AJ Green's out there in two wide receiver sets, or I, I don't even know if they're running two wide receiver sets, but he's getting the de facto number two wide receiver treatment. Meanwhile, freaking Rondale Moore is being reduced to a distant wide receiver four. And Christian Kirk, as great of a game as he had, even Rondale made good use of his opportunities. He's not even getting all the damn usage. So I'm sure people can see where we're going with this, but unfortunately, I don't think we can trust these young stud receivers because Cliff can't stop feeding these veterans that he shouldn't even have allegiance to. Like, he, did he ever exchange a word with AJ Green before February or March? Like, did, he, did Larry Fitzgerald know who Cliff was before he became his head coach? Like, the fact that he's landing on these guys more than his players that he drafted and is bringing up is just completely mind-boggling to me, Dwayne. So, you know, got a little off track there, but Christian Kirk, what do you think? It's all right. Passionate, man. Um, so here's the thing with Kirk. Um, he is going to need more routes to perform consistently. This last week, he was only out there for 66%. And the three most popular uh, personnel groups that the Cardinals use are four wide receivers, which is 10 personnel, three wide receivers, which is 11, and then 12. So 12 is what they go to to hit play action. It's what they'll use a lot to close out games. And so if you look at yesterday, the Cardinals used 10 and 11 personnel on over 70% of their plays in the first half, but they got ahead by, you know, so much so early, they only used those personnel groups 33% of the time in the second half. So what does that tell you? It tells you that Kirk has sneaky upside. Once they're in more typical games, Kirk's going to be on the field more. I'm thinking his routes are going to be somewhere around 70 to 75%. And once he gets to that number, he's the same as guys that were being taken like LaVisca Chanel in the Heck, I saw LaVisca Chanel go in the sixth round of drafts, you know, but should have been more like a seventh, eighth rounder. And you can get Christian Kirk off the waiver wire. So here's the other part. His targets per routes uh, run was really encouraging, 22%. Second on the team to Rondell Moore, who we'll talk about in just a second. Um, but it was actually higher than, than DeAndre Hopkins. It was higher than A.J. Green, who was at 19%. A.J.'s problem is over the last three years, his targets per route ran, run have gone down every single year. So he's just kind of at that point in his career that he is what he is. Yes, he had 87% of the routes. Yes, he had 20% of the targets. But that 9% target per route run is about where he's at. I think he's going to be less. So I actually like Kirk because here's the huge news around Christian Kirk. He was in the slot for 96% of the routes yesterday of his routes. That was something we didn't know he was going to get because in the preseason, we saw those looks going to Rondell Moore. So the way I look at this offense, DeAndre Hopkins is your 1A. Christian Kirk is your number two. He's going to get the better matchups. He's going to work inside, even though he's going to be on the field less than A.J. Green. Christian Kirk needs to be owned in pretty much every format. I would say if you're in a 12-team format, needs to be owned. If you're in a 10-team format, probably needs to be owned. If you're in an 18-team format, unless it's a super de deep you know, roster situation, you can leave him out there. You probably already have someone better on your team. But outside of that, Christian Kirk, I mean, I'm putting right in there. Uh, I think he carries more upside than Sterling Shepard. So if you're an upside person and you're like, you know what, just give me the person that I think could like blow the roof off this thing. It's Christian Kirk. Yesterday, he was, he was, he was Kyler Murray's favorite target on third downs, 33%. He was his favorite target in the end zone, 40%. And he had most of the area. He had the most air yards, or sorry, he had the, the highest average depth of target at 13.2. DeAndre Hopkins outdid him in air yards, 32% to 25%, but only because DeAndre was obviously out there, you know, getting more targets uh, because he was on the field the whole time. And Hopkins, man, looked awesome. Like what a what a receiver. He's not dead, folks. Everybody That's wanted to like keep moving him down, moving him down the boards. Uh, look, I was guilty of it. I took you know, Metcalf and Jefferson it towards the end of draft season over him because I wasn't getting enough exposure to those players. And so there were, those were the drafts where I pass Hopkins and I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know, 
this is just like normal tried and true DeAndre Hopkins getting to play with Kyler Murray, who's now healthy again. It's great. So anyway, on, on Kurt, I call him a top 48 receiver for now, Ian, but he's got that boom bust range on him or man, he could be in the top 24 and folks are sitting there going, wow, this is like what I thought I drafted with LaVisca Chanel. And it's actually Christian Kurt. I'm fine with wide receiver for boomer bust treatment. I thought you were going to say top 36 and I was, I was going to be mad, Dwayne. I'm not going to give me the break tap. And I would, I would deserve the break tap there. But again, I do think 10 and 11 personnel will be used more in a game where they're not winning. So like, if you look at the stats from this game, like, and this is what's cool. I'm putting in the utilization report for you guys this year is so each team I've got an overview and it tells you how many plays do they run, how many plays per minute, so you know their pace. Then you know what were their run pass splits. But then I give you a quick view of like how many plays in the game did they trail? Were they close or did they lead? So you get because context matters, Ian, as you know, because what you want to do is you want to look for teams that you're like, wow, they like actually threw the ball quite a bit in every single scenario. So if you look at the Cardinals, they led on 84% of the plays, folks. 50% of the time when they were leading, they dropped back the pass. So that really is what hurt Christian Kirk most yesterday. The Cardinals are going to be in a lot of other more competitive games than what we saw, which we thought would be more comp- competitive with Tennessee yeah. yesterday. It just turned out that it wasn't. Upcoming schedule for the Cardinals does set up pretty nicely, Dwayne. Got the Vikings, Jaguars, Rams, tough one. 49ers, Browns, Texans. I, I, I smell some blowups in there. I'm still not super sure Kyler Murray can consistently enable more than one high-end guy. And it's not even non-Kyler. It's just like DeAndre Hopkins is such a damn target hog. He's going to get 150 plus. I think whoever else is going to have to be awfully efficient. Certainly a nice first step for Kirk and Rondale. Let's just get Green's corpse out of there. That's all I ask, Cliff. That's all I ask. A couple more for you guys. Nelson Aguilar. Caught five of seven targets for 72 yards in a tutty. We had Jacoby Myers at nine targets. James White, six. John Smith, five. Hunter Henry, three. Kendrick Bourne, three. And Damius and Damian Harris, three. Offense You're like me today, dude. You're like me. You're so like me today with the fumbling of the words. 70 minutes in the pod. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting loosey-goosey out here, Dwayne. But with this pretty spread-out offense, I thought Mac Jones looked really good. In particular, he had this dope uh, drop in the bucket to James White on a uh, wheel route in the backfield. I mean, the guy has had 99 snaps now combined preseason, regular season. Only one turnover-worthy play, which was a fumble on his first career drop back. So I think we can cut him some slack there. Mac Jones is looking good. With that said, do you think there's still a receiver other than Jacoby Myers in this offense that can give us some PPR goodness? And could it be Mr. Nelson Aguilar? Yeah, I think it could. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, if you look at it, like as a player that we loved early in the off season, and it's just one of those things where he wasn't out there or he was hurt. He was running a go route every single play. So I think there's an opportunity for Aguilar. If you play in a 12 team league, um, you know, let's say, and what's nice about Aguilar is he could bring some value in either kind of form in either format, right? Standard or PPR, because he's really going to be more of the big play receiver. His average depth of target was 30 was a 13.2, 34% of the air yards, where you got Jacoby Myers working underneath 6.4 yard ADOT and 25% of the air yards. So I still obviously think this is a, you know, Myers is the player to own here, but I do think in deeper leagues, you could see Nelson Aguilar provide you some wide receiver three of value, especially later, whenever you need somebody to, to put in, you know, from a, from a standpoint of covering your bye weeks covering an injury, that kind of thing. He's not a player. I think it's going to pop, you know, big Ian, but I think if you're in a deep kind of league, he's a guy worth owning. I would min bid it. You know, I mean, I'm talking 2% type thing. He's not somebody I'm going to go put 5% or more on, but 
he's my contingent bid, Ian. He's like four down the list when I miss everybody else because people go nuts. I'm like, ah, I got Nelson Aguilar. Let's see what happens. You wake up and you check your roster and you got Aguilar. And, and like, you just, you see it, and you immediately just swipe right and shut it. <laughs> Dude, I was bummed. I, 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 I don't want to share too many stories about my uh, teams, but I had this dynasty te- uh, league. I got Fields and Lance early. It's a super flex. And I was like, I'll get Fitzpatrick to settle me over for a little while until they start. And earlier this week, I put in a bid on Tyrod Taylor thinking, let's just give myself a little more flexibility. And I got beat out for Tyrod. Fitzmagic's going to miss freaking eight weeks with the hip thing. You know, I'm, I'm leaving the squad hanging. It's poor management, no one to blame but myself. And enough about my team that nobody gives a single shit about. Because we got one more situation to break down, Dwayne, and that is the Denver Broncos. Miraculously, Jerry Judy is only expected to miss four to six weeks with this ankle injury. I thought it could have been four to six years after I saw that thing live. Like it looked that bad. I'm not, you know, I think Dwayne, you said in the chat, you know, he's got some Gumby freaking bones going on or something. Whatever it is. Yeah, there's there's Gumby somewhere in the family tree. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is, thank you for not taking Jerry Judy from us this early injury, gods. He should be back by uh, November. Hopefully he is uh, balling by the time that comes around. With that said, we're now expecting three wide receiver sets to be Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, and everyone's favorite number four wide receiver, except mine. I still love you, Auden Tate. Tim Patrick. So Teddy Bridgewater, I thought looked pretty good, man. He had in the same drive, he stiff armed like two defenders and he managed to complete the pass afterwards. He had the bomb, the Hamler that maybe a little bit underthrown. It hit him in the chest. He, you know, should have been a 50 yard touchdown. Do you think that beyond Sutton and Noah Fant, either Patrick or Hamler can hold some value while Judy is sidelined. I think it's going to be tough. Um, I, yeah. Again, I know, and I'm trying to be clear about these things because I know a lot of people really want to know it's a deep league. You know, these are deep league type pickups. Um, I would, I would prioritize Patrick first because I think he's going to be out there in the two wide sets, obviously more than what we're going to see probably with Hamler. Um, Hamler yesterday was only out there for 49% of the routes. Um, So Patrick was out there for 66% of the routes. He did get slightly more playing time once Jerry Judy was gone from the game. Um, We don't have a big sample set though size on that. (laughs) So it's not like something we can really lean into. It just is what it is. And coaches make adjustments right after these injuries. But I think it's most logical to think that Patrick would be the one that you would want to own. You did have KJ Hamler with a sheesh moment, Ian. Yeah, man. Hit him in the chest. Like I said, you did have KJ with a sheesh. So um, yeah, it's, it's, (laughs) so, I mean, he could give you that big play, but if I'm going to go after someone, it's Patrick. I do like Patrick for right now over uh, probably, you know, he's right there with Nelson Aguilar. It's a similar type of situation. I just like him as a player a little bit more than Aguilar based on what we've seen in the past when he's had his chances. Um, but I think it's pretty clearly, you know, this is the biggest thing on this one, man, is fan. I, fan yesterday um, targets per route run 31 freaking percent. Like this dude went bonkers. Like he was in 34, uh, Sorry, looking at Jerry Judy, you know, he was next up, but he obviously got hurt. He was at 35%. Cortland Sutton's still kind of coming along 11%. Um, so he's obviously still trying to, you know, and he had a tough matchup, you know, with Bradbury yesterday for someone that's uh, really good in a matchup for the Cortland Sutton type receiver. So that, that wasn't an easy matchup for Sutton. I expect to see Sutton and Fant to be the two main guys, but man, Fant like really, really uh, impressed yesterday. Um, the 66% routes, that's the issue. You know, you got Albert O out there with 44%. And so this happened last year with Fan. So that's the tricky spot. Is Fan 
is not getting up. We talked, we talked earlier about that 80% number with Hawkinson. You at least want to get to 70% and fans not at that. He's at 66%, but being heavily looked at by Teddy Bridgewater when he's on the field, that 31% number, that's, that's, that's elite. That's really big, you know, for a tight end. Might be tough for fan to break through in that top five. Cause we can only have five guys. But he can be a top 10. Yeah, exactly. A top 10. So you'll take that eight days of the week. Now he's going to wrap up one of our eight editions of the PFF fantasy football podcast of this week. I have one more. Man. Can I have oh, well, one more? Yeah. Yeah. Just we're one not, more. We're Just not one wrapped more. up. Screw that. We got one. Just more. one. Just one. Um, there, there are some others that you guys can see tomorrow in the utilization report, but I just want to give you one more because this is kind of a teaser, you know, for what you got. I'm super excited, you know, about this is the best utilization article I've ever put out um, in my life. Um, and, and so it's going to be set up to where it'll have at the very top. These are the players that you should focus on right away. So if you're the type of person you want to come in, you're like, Dwayne, just, just like feed me, just feed me who I need to go pick up. It's going to be there. It'll, I'll talk about waivers, trade targets, all that. But then if you just, you're the kind of geek like me and you want to go in and look, okay, well, I want to just kind of look at every team. I'm breaking down every team where I give you the overview of the team that I'm breaking down their quarterback, which I've never done in the utilization report quarterback's going to be in there. Then you have running backs and then I have the receivers and tight ends and all the stuff that you guys love. So all the things we've been talking about routes, targets per routes run. Um, are they getting the short down and distance, long down distance, uh, two minute offense? Who are your true three down backs versus not? I probably just need to put out a simple article later every week. Ian, this is like, here's your three down backs. You're done. Here, here they are. Here's the seven. You know, here are the guys that are next up kind of waiting in the wings, hoping that they can turn into a three down back. That would probably be like a killer article that I could write. I need a short one that I can write in like 30 minutes. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, so that's what, that's what we're all looking for. Twice. That's what we're all looking for. Yeah. So um, here's my guy. Terrace Marshall yesterday, only out there in 65% of the routes. But again, somewhere we talked about with Kirk, if you look at this team and you look at the overview, which I give you, um, 59% of the plays with the lead, 69% of or 41% of the plays were in a close game. So within three points, 59% with a lead of four more. 0% of the plays yesterday for the Panthers were trailing. So if you look at their usage of 11 personnel versus 12, it was a little bit off from what you would normally expect. But the cool thing is Marshall still got to 65% of the routes. And if you look at his targets per route run, highest on the team, 28%. Average depth of target of 8.2. So he wasn't just the deep receiver yesterday. It's funny. It's we got what we actually thought last year going in. Robbie Anderson was the deep threat with an eight out of 30. And then you had DJ Moore working the intermediate and short with an eight out of 11.4. But back to Terrace Marshall, my one last, if somebody drops him or if you can, because you can probably still get him up for not for nothing. I think he finished as wide receiver 72 yesterday in PPR formats. But everything else, all the underlyings look good. Um, 50% of the end zone targets went to Terrace Marshall. 50% of the third down targets went to Terrace Marshall. They're looking to this guy. I've talked about it before. Terrace Marshall is this year's Chase Claypool. He's, gonna, he's never going to get to 80% of the routes. He's not. He'll be lucky to get to 75% of the routes. But the way they want to use him, there's a shot here. And Sam Darnold looked just good enough to think, hey, maybe there's a chance. And remember, we saw Teddy Bridgewater, not a great quarterback either, support three receivers in this offense last year. And this is all with CMC gobbling up everything. I mean, King, I mean, I know it's King Henry, but really, is there anybody that's King besides CMC? Like, he's it. Like, um, and I won't go into all his utilization, but it's in here. You see it. He handled everything. Um, so Terrace Marshall, especially if you're in a 12-teamer, somebody drops him or you can get him for nothing. 
um, because nobody's going to be thinking about Terrace Marshall. They're like, oh, this guy screwed me week one. Underlying data says like, and he's a better own right now than Rondell Moore. You'd rather own him over that. Um, he's kind of close to, he's closer than people think to Elijah Moore. Yeah, disappointing debut for all these guys. If you uh, were in DraftKings and you cash played all these, you know, sub three, seven K receivers probably wasn't a great day, but maybe you faced a bunch of other people that did. So either way, Panthers upcoming schedule, Saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, Giants, Falcons. Seems like quite a few games where we will be saying plus matchups all week long. Everyone, this is going to wrap up the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Make sure you check out Dwayne's utilization report on pff.com tomorrow. I will also have my week two QB superlatives out as well, where you can get a nice preview of the week, get some cool tidbits from last week, and see ultimately what I'm thinking will happen with these quarterbacks ahead of week two. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Peace.